everybody it's your boys game devs quest your once weekly podcast following two game dev scrubs into game dev if we can do it you can too i'm rhett what's up y'all i'm taylor and this week is an interesting week for taylor and i um we're we're gonna break format uh we got nothing we got no game dev on the agenda for y'all i hope that's okay i hope you're gonna stick around um and we hope that if you uh think differently than us or uh, maybe disagree with some of the things that we're about to talk about that you stick around and listen uh, because we mean literally zero disrespect to you. Um, but we feel that it is too important for us to uh, maintain any uh, sort of silence on the subject. We're going to talk about voting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about probably, in my opinion, at least the most important election in my lifetime thus far. I feel like it's probably going to be one of the most important elections in my life unless, well, maybe it will be either way, you know, if democracy dies. <laughs> so, And uh, disagree, agree, hit that bell down below, press like, leave us a comment or a review. No, I'm just kidding. Um, been watching a lot of YouTube lately. But anyway, point of this being, uh, we're going to talk about voting. Like Taylor said, it is uh, probably the most important election of our lifetime. Um and you all know this because you've been living in 2020 right alongside the rest of us. Right alongside this year. I remember, God, was it January 1st or was it January 2nd? Like waking up to the international news of just, you know, military action overseas, causing ripples, threatening to destabilize the Middle East and just being like, oh, man. I thought we like sent all this stuff behind us when we all when we all sang old sang line or whatever old line sang old line sang you know the song. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I hate myself. Wait, okay, for even which, trying to get there. so it's, here's here's the thing about 2020 though. Like what I, I I don't know exactly what you're talking about because there's been so many things that happened. Are you talking about the assassination of like? Well, the, I use the word assassination. Other people use military maneuver i don't know what else they call it i call it an assassination <laughs> the drone strike taylor okay uh, the coward's tool of choice um never mind maybe that's too <laughs> too far uh, none of you all have drone striked anybody so i can say that <laughs> it's the coward's tool for killing people um yeah i'm specifically talking about the iranian general um whose name we all knew there for 10 days um yeah i don't remember it yeah, but that is because <laughs> our senses and our freaking daily lives have been assaulted day in and day out since we all woke up January 2020. <laughs> I mean, the I mean, well, obviously I, COVID is the big thing. Yeah, obviously. But there is so much more. Yeah. And I, it all stems from the top down. The fish rots from the head down. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing. I mean, I was going to say it's for me it started in 2016, but 2020 just like brought us up uh to kick yeah. us up to 11, dude. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's never ending. So, so of course, we are talking about um, you know, the the executive branch of uh, the government we're talking about the white house we are talking about president trump and uh whether or not you voted for him in 2016 is completely irrelevant uh it does not matter to me today or tomorrow or uh next week or the month after um all that matters to me now is that you uh, consider not voting for him <laughs> this time around <laughs> The reasons are many and numerous. Um, I think the greatest and most existential of all is climate change. I think Taylor would agree with me, and I think that many in the Discord would agree. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not a single issue voter, but that's at the top of my list. And would one side literally doesn't believe it? Like, how can you even? Yeah. yeah. Um, if, but if, if you were making it a one-issue election, do you have? Do you think you could pick one? <laughs> Climate change. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, 
yeah, it, it's God, it's really hard in this specific scenario because all of them are like coming up at the same time. Climate change, we literally have what 10 years to actually mm-hmm. re- reverse course here and not break three degrees uh, by 2100 and basically guaranteed climate catastrophe like that's number one we have 10 years and four of those years could be filled by a person who rolls back environmental regulations constantly like there's no question there but also want clean air and clean water he wants it to be phenomenal (laughs) (laughs) uh so i mean typically that's my number one but also like like you say we're just being assaulted on every front and and for me the reason why i like we talked about having this episode the way that it is, is because like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she died. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, that, Taylor, but I'm, I'm assuming that you have, you have ladies in your life, a mother, presumably maybe a spouse, um, you know, whatever else might be in your life, friends. Um, I do too. And I'm going to wager a guess that everybody listening does. And, um, you know, that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me in terms of wanting to speak out is that if this Supreme Court nominee is allowed to get through, the women in our lives are about to become a whole lot less safe. Um, and that might sound like a gross overreaction, but like we've like the same thing has been said about climate change for 15 years, 20 years, probably longer. Um, you know, the person whom uh, President Trump has signaled is going to be his candidate to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's spot is Amy Barrett. And uh, I mean, she it, she kind of looks like a figure from Handmaid's Tale. And that's not an exaggeration. Uh, her religious beliefs um, favor men over women. I'm pretty sure uh, that that at their church services, uh, men sit on one side, women sit on the other. I guess I don't know that for sure, so I could be propagating fake news here, but I thought I read that, or I thought I heard that somewhere. And it's not uncommon, though, Taylor. You laugh, but like there are churches not even five miles from me where that's the case. Yeah, there's apostolic churches here in Oregon that are very common. Like we didn't—I don't think we went to school with any apostolic kids, but there was a ton in Silverton, and they are very strict. Like the women wear like bonnets and stuff when they go to church. Yeah. Like, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're about to allow a person who sees the world through this lens to use that lens to interpret the Constitution. And of course, you know, one of the big selling points to President Trump on this is, is, well, the Affordable Care Act, but also I'm not going to bat an eye at his assault at, on, on Roe v. Wade. Um, and who knows? Like, there's so much that's so early to talk about, and 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 there's so, it's there's so much that we'll we can't tell from this vantage point. But do we want to take the chance for our mothers and our spouses and our daughters and our cousins and neighbors and school teachers and coworkers to live in a world where they are a little less safe than they are now. I mean, they're already pretty not safe in this day and age in the, in this world. Um, what else? Yeah. Well, so my, I mean, I guess a couple points on just that, like the whole, uh, supreme court thing um what really kind of like peaked fear for me was i mean trump has been constantly trying to influence the election with the mail-in ballot thing saying that you know there's rampant voter fraud with that which has been uh proven wrong by experts over and over. But then also the idea that he will ram through a, a Supreme Court justice so that they have a guaranteed you know, 6-3 divide. And if there is a contested election, then the court decides, right? right? Not to mention the impacts, going back to climate change, of having a very conservative court. Like if we have 10 years left, 
they're they're not gonna they're gonna strike down any type of climate legislation that comes through. Like, yeah. I have no question of it. So, like, yeah, it like at this point, this election is like an existential crisis. If if it doesn't go the way that we feel it should, and and that kind of I think that kind of ties up. I think uh, our biggest concerns pretty nicely is is the voter issue. And that issue is probably single-handedly why we are having this discussion on the podcast instead of having one of our um, game dev homies on to talk about their latest project. Um, we're talking about voting. Because, honestly, go ahead. Yeah, honestly, to me right now, game dev is not important. Sorry. Like, it's just not <laughs> I, and that should tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, I, we've been coming on here for three years now. Not every week anymore, but to pitch the uh, joys of game development. And um, yeah, it's just not quite as important as getting this message through to you guys this week. So, but to help us talk about voting. To help us talk about the assault on our democracy and uh, the, our disappearing voter rights is longtime friend of the show, even apparently a <laughs> guest on the show at one point. You've heard us talk about him forever. It's our bro, Kurt Burning. Say what up. Tell us where you're from, who you are, what you're doing here, etc., etc. <laughs> You know, you, you know, you've been on the air for too long when you don't remember what guests you have. <laughs> <laughs> Thousands of episodes, you know, <laughs> your podcast. Uh, well, hey everybody. Yep, my name is Kurt Burning. I'm calling in from Vancouver, Washington, at the moment. Um, just moved back from Washington D.C. Originally from Mount Angel, Oregon. So that's where I know these these two cool cats. Um, and I currently work for a group called Indivisible Project. Uh, they're based out of Washington, D.C. I've worked there for four years now. I'm essentially, they're, they're a nonprofit, about a staff of 100, who um, is, is pushing progressive policies across the country. So at local, state, and, and the federal level, mostly federal. Um, kind of, you can kind of think about us as a liberal Tea Party. We have grassroots groups all over the country. Uh, so sometimes we call ourselves a Tea Party, but not racist. Um, I think it's good. Um, and, and my job isn't exactly in politics. I'm a, I'm our senior finance manager. So I manage the money of the organization, our spending, our revenues. I help, you know, people track what we're going out. So now is a very busy time because we're spending a lot of money. It's the election. Um, but as, you know, as a great part of my work, I get to be around people that are professionals in this realm and, you know, I get to sit in with them during staff meetings and talk to them and chat and kind of absorb some of their knowledge. So, yeah, happy to join you both today and happy to bring what I can to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for uh, coming on. Um, Kurt has always been a, a sort of touchstone for progressive politics in my life, which is part of the reason I thought me and Taylor were talking about future guests. And then we started realizing we wanted to talk about voting and all this sort of stuff. So Kurt kind of um naturally rose to the top at least in my mind um well the, the funny flip side to this <laughs> not to like call anyone out but we also have another really good friend who works for a republican senator right now <laughs> so yeah <laughs> uh so so there you have it like, you reach across the aisle we're <laughs> yeah yeah it's true um, um you know. I'm hoping that this is the election where he defects and like right. brings with him a treasure trove of documents. I'm going to text him right now. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Game Devs Quest got the scoop. <laughs> Breaking news. Uh, we're uh, we're reporting it before it happens. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it, it's um, I don't know where I was going with this. But Kurt, um, you know, what are your thoughts on? You know, I guess the vote, voting rights, uh, the election coming up, just to kind of kick things off here. Also, any um, any inside scoops from D.C.? You, <laughs> you know, like what what's the vibe around? I know. I feel like we always treat Kurt like he's some sort of insider, but he's like, yeah. he's like, no, I'm not in politics. I do the finance side of things. But, well, 
I, you know, I, I think I've been hiding this story. I don't know if I've told either of you this, but I did kind of through luck and other people not being available, I did get to meet Joe Biden at a bar. Really? In New York, oddly. Not even in D.C., in New York. <laughs> and he stood up on a table in the bar. It was kind of a, you know, an, like an event for him. And he, 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 you know, shared a little speech with the crowd. And then as he walked out, I patted him on the back. And I was like, this is the cool, this is in 2017. So he, you know, he wasn't a high profile candidate. You know, he was just kind of, I think his wife was speaking at this event. It was called Aussie Fest. So he was just there kind of supporting her. Nice. Um, That's so funny. I, you know, funny enough, you, you spend time around DC and you have like little, little run-in stories for sure. Even if, you know, even if you just live in the city, you see people around. Yeah, totally. It's a small <laughs> place. But yes, do want to talk about voting. And and I am drawing inspiration from Dan Carlin. Um, yes, and so I, <laughs> I last night watching the debates and I and I just decided I'm going to play this bit. I'm going to play this tape back until I transcribe what I thought was maybe the most important line of the whole entire debate. So I'm going to read that and that'll kind of kick off off this conversation. So. Here we just to set the scene. Here we are. It's the last ten minutes of what has been a raucous and crazy <laughs> performance by Trump, and just like t- really tough debate to listen to and to get any content out of. But this piece of content is just terrifying to me, and I think that you'll probably, if you think about it, you might feel the same. So Chris Wallace asks, and I quote again. I just wrote all this stuff down. It's hard to write down Trump, what Trump says, you know. <laughs> But I did my best. Um, Chris Wallace asked Trump, will you urge your supporters to stay calm during this extended period, not to engage in any civil unrest? And will you pledge tonight that you will not declare victory until the election has been independently certified? And I was listening like, wow, what's Trump going to say? How bad could it be? He's probably going to say something nice. Uh, You know, Trump responds. I am urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully because that's what that that is what has to happen. I'm urging them to do it. As you know, today, there was a big problem in Philadelphia. They went in to watch. They're called poll watchers, a very safe, very nice thing. They were thrown out. They weren't allowed to watch. You know why? Because bad things happen in Philadelphia. Bad things. I'm urging my people. I hope it's going to be a fair election. If it's a fair election, I'm 100% on board. But if I see tens of thousands of ballots being manipulated, I can't go along with that. And I'll tell you what it means. It means you have a fraudulent election. You're sending out 80 million ballots. They're not equipped to handle that, number one. Number two, they cheat. Now, I kind I, I wanted to capture the whole thing because I think a lot of times when you're reading the news, you just see a sentence and it seems bad. Um, so sometimes, you know, you want to read those full quote paragraphs and get the context. This was Trump's full answer. I I wanted to share the whole thing. And I think regardless, you know, like we could dive into the Supreme Court, we could dive into climate change, we could dive into immigration policy, we could dive into, you know, Trump's treatment of Black Lives Matter supporters. Destabilization of the Middle East and trade with China. We could go, (laughs) we could go down that path. And, and that is something I could talk for a long time about. But what Trump was asking and urging his supporters to do was essentially to disrupt the election. Because it's often not legal to go into a polling place and watch somebody vote for obvious reasons. <laughs> Especially if you're to show up, you know, armed, potentially, or, you know, with like some sort of malicious intent and in trying to discourage people. Of course, this would be illegal. And of course, this would be like completely against our democracy. And I think that is, you know, if you're trying to draw distinctions between these two candidates, the most important thing is Trump is open to losing, but taking our democracy with him. And that is what this quote says. He is saying, even if I lose, they're cheating. It's going to be a fraudulent election. Have you ever heard a presidential candidate in the United States talk about an election in the US this way. It is, it's crazy. It is like so scary. I thought about this all night. I had to start playing guitar to like work through my feelings because I was so frustrated. And then the, today I actually talked with a, a good friend from Honduras about this. And she was saying, and, and I was telling her like, 
this is what you told me about was happening in your country. You know, like this is what the president of Honduras was doing in 2018 or, you know, whenever they last had the election, 2019, I think that is not America. You know, like for all my criticisms, we should not be a country that ever has a disputed presidential election because one candidate claims fraud and tells supporters to show up to the polls. And, and our, our political manager at work said to me today, you know, people were talking about the debate like win or lose. And I don't know if that's the right lens because I think Trump was trying to destroy the debate. And in that lens, I think he succeeded. And similarly, he's trying to do the same to the election. He's not, he's, I think, so worried about winning that he has switched to destroy mode, destroy, disrupt. And, this, and our political you know, person said this really smartly, that it takes less people to disrupt and have that be effective than it does to, to get the votes to put you over the, the, you know, the line and win the state. So Trump doesn't need that many people disrupting an election to throw off a lot of people voting. Yeah. And it was just so clear. I mean, how do you answer this? And you're still a presidential candidate and your party still supports you. I cannot, cannot, this is unconscionable for a party of ethics and morals and all this, you know, the Republicans purport to be. I, you know, whatever issue is brought up, and I know he said crazy things about white supremacists, and but he, but he said that in the past. This was my, like, I just keep thinking about this. I can't get this out of my head. And I think... Above all, you know, when you're thinking about Trump and Biden, think about Trump is going to sacrifice anything, anything. He's willing to, you know, throw our democracy away, essentially, as long as it means he's president again. And that is just like inexcusable. That is absolutely, you know, this country, very flawed place, has had a lot of trouble over the years, you know, has had a lot of promise, too, is kind of this like land of contradictions. But I'm not ready to throw it away. I'm not ready to throw it away just because Trump wants to be president again. He is. And, okay, I know I've talked for a while there, but gosh, I just really <laughs> wanted to hammer home this point. And, and I think that, you know, to cut through the noise, I tried to read it all. But I think this is the key issue, that one candidate is saying the election is going to be a fraud. And that is straight up, you know, developing country, you know, like third, you know, just like outside of the norm, not good stuff. Yeah. Well, and to show the the difference in candidates, Biden, his main thing was get out and vote. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like he wants more people to vote because, I mean, obviously that's advantageous for him, but also because like we live in a democracy. Right. Um, and going back to like one of the first things you said, and this is another thing that, um, I mean, Rhett texted us uh, I, was that last, <laughs> last week. I mean, you typically do, but uh, <laughs> you, you texted us about Dan Carlin's podcast, Common yeah. Sense, which if you're not familiar, um, Dan Carlin, big podcaster, used to be in the news industry, has two podcasts. We talk about hardcore history all the time. He has oh, yeah. another one called Common Sense that he hasn't really been doing much probably since Trump got in office. And I yeah. think typically it's because he's more of a, you know, he calls himself like a constitutionalist, like he, you know, which typically means he's more conservative. Right. And he came out with an episode last week that was so powerful be- because he's coming from this, you know, conservative perspective. Um, and he flat out endorses Joe Biden. And I think, I mean, I think that kind of got me, probably you too, right? Thinking about like wanting to do something like that ourselves. Because if Dan Carlin feels the, I don't know, if, he feels like I mean, he Dan needs Carlin to do Dan Carlin flat out said he was scared. Yeah. And this and, is a guy that's reported on a lot of scary things. And, and he has around. such a historical mind. Like he's yeah. looking at everything from a historical lens and seeing the writing on the wall that like, the the republic is going down yeah i mean it's, and it, one of you know one of the things that he cited that i don't think gets enough airtime is you know he said like i met general mattis like general mattis is a very impressive clear calculating mind and he abandoned trump 
And he says, you know, that was kind of like, you know, watching the rats flee the ship a little bit. Not that Mattis is a rat, but, it's, it, it, you know, you're reading the writing on the walls. And that was like one of the first signs for Carlin, he said, was when Mattis was done. And he said it, he just couldn't perform his job the way in the world that that President Trump was creating, um, which I think says something. And I don't I don't understand why that never got as much play uh, as it should have in my mind. Um you know, because Mattis was one of these guys. I mean, he's very, very well respected in the armed forces. He's very well respected among Marines in particular, who many enlisted Marines tend to favor conservatism. And, you know, if you're a Marine listening to this and I'm overgeneralizing, I apologize. But this is just, you know, from my personal observations, I'm not gathering poll data here. Um, I'm just gathering observations from my rural slice of America and, and, and uh, they, I mean, they literally re- like they call General Mattis a saint. They call him, uh, God, do they call him Saint Chaos or is it Saint Mattis? I don't Mad know. Dog. Mad Dog. I know. Yeah. They don't call him Saint Mad Dog, though, but they call him literally, they have him like a saint, a sanctified name that they like call him. Um, but yeah, they call him Mad Dog. They call him Chaos. They call him all these things. They really revere him and respect him. And he's earned it, like from as far as what I can tell, you know, reading his Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, it, it's like the same thing, like same people that I'm going in the weeds here a little bit. It was like same people that kind of went after um, Bob Mueller. Like you read Bob Mueller's Wikipedia page, and there is nobody that should be more respected, you know, between uh, both sides of the aisle. Um, but here they are thinking he's playing some partisan politics. Um, but yeah, you know, going back to what you were kind of talking about, Kurt, um, you know, sorry, obviously the Carlin thing is very spooky and that's definitely inspired me, but, but, but circling back to what Kurt was talking about, you know, I, I've been sort of feeling this for a while and some of y'all probably see me tweeting that Trump is becoming a child who's having a tantrum, doesn't want to share his toys. And what does a child do when they don't want to, they, they break their toy. Well, fine. You know, you slam it on the ground. Um, and that's where it's happening right before our eyes. Like the pieces that make the toy work are being broken before our eyes. <laughs> the pieces that are fun to play with are being broken. Um, and that scares Dan Carlin. That scares the three of us. And if we don't do something about it, uh, it will be broken and then we never get to play with it again. And, uh, you know, playing with it is a metaphor for voting (laughs) and participation in government. Um, you know, yeah, I've, I've felt a lot of fear, um, recently I've, I have always sort of any of these like big, uh, events. I mean, I'm, you know how I am. I'm kind of scared of a lot of stuff, but, um, like this year I'm, I'm going to take at least several days off during the election because I just know that I'm going to be so anxious yeah. and I won't be able to focus on work. You know, um, and go. I'm sorry, not, not to interrupt you, but, but, go ahead. but this kind of brings up another thing too, that, that Kurt's talking about. It, it's not just people that could interfere with this and make it a pain. We're in the midst of a global pandemic as well. Yeah. Um, Going to polling places might not be scary just because there's tough looking people there blocking your way or maybe brandishing guns. Uh, It could be scary because a bunch of people just show up and stand arms linked with no masks on. Or it could be scary because, you know, any number of reasons related to that. You know, um, that's why it's really important that if you can, you go and vote early. If you can't vote by mail, you go and vote early. We've all seen the pictures of the midterm elections of people standing in line on the last day waiting to get in, them having to keep the polls open for three hours past their closing time to get everybody through, and some people at the very end not even getting through. I mean, that could be you if you're not prepared. Um, And nobody wants to be out in the cold when there's a global pandemic that's killed 200,000 people going around. Um. Yeah, Kurt, I think that, that that quote from Trump definitely was, to me, pro- definitely, if it's not first, it's it's tied, 
you know, it's tied with something else, which to me was the, the white supremacy thing. But like you said, um, he's talked about it before. It was just particularly poignant to me because, well, we, we live where he's talking about. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah. what were your guys? Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to add, you know, just thinking about Taylor, you mentioned like taking days off, after, you know, around the election to kind of keep your mental sanity in order. Just, you know, just to give people a bit of a window inside an organization that works on this, you know, yeah. professionally, and people spend tons of hours working on the election up until election day. Mostly after election day, you know, November, December is a rest period because everyone's freaking exhausted. I mean, regardless of what party you're on, you're, it's a huge, huge push to the finish, especially this last period is extremely busy. People are working really long hours. My organization is kind of sending the message, you know, we have this campaign around protect the results, which is essentially, hey, the work's not going to end on November 3rd. And we might have weeks, months of dispute. And, you know, this, you know, we can think about 2000 where something like this happened. There was disputes in Florida and, and that went really poorly. And, um, but it, it is, you know, that wasn't known ahead of time. That was like an error with some ballots that, you know, it just kind of went downhill. It was unforeseen. To think that these coalitions or this coalition protected results is, has been preparing for months because not out of hysteria. They're just reading Trump's words <laughs> and they're taking him seriously. And I think that's the problem with somebody like Trump, who is often, you know, kind of going back and forth between jokes and sarcasm and serious stuff is sometimes you just see everything as a joke. Yeah. But when he's calling on his supporters during the de debate to go to polling sites, it's not a joke. And so, like, I, yeah, I think it's just going to be for, for political organizations. Everyone is taking this threat extremely seriously. Like there everyone is not no longer thinking about a November, December rest period. You know, we're hoping that that rest period comes in February <laughs> because yeah. we're just it's going to be really tough. And Trump well, has said it. He has said it's going to be. Yeah, and, that's the other thing is. Uh, like if he loses he's still president until uh, january 20th or something like that window right there even yeah. scares me a little bit you know what i mean like yeah 100%. what's gonna happen in that period if he's like a sore loser yeah um obviously if it's close it's going to be more about contesting the election and making sure that he gets the verdict that he wants but if it's a landslide which is like our like best case scenario, right? Like Biden wins, <laughs> like not just popular vote, but like electoral college votes. He just like kills it. Right. Um, how does Trump behave in that scenario as well? Like, yeah. Hopefully, at that point, since it's a landslide, the other side, like the Republican side, accepts the yeah. election and they and they can sort of like rein him in there's the the checks and balances going into place but like either way like i am going to be anxious until inauguration the, inauguration yeah yeah and one thing that surprised me about this whole thing you know trump's saying go to the polls and watch these people and he's saying proud boys stand by well i guess he didn't say proud boys specifically but he did, Maybe he did. I, yeah he said proud yeah. boys stand back and stand by which that was one of the, the things that really caught my attention and freaked me out. Like yeah. I heard him say that and I was like, what, what exactly does he mean by that? Yeah. Chris well, Wallace was asking him to specifically yeah. condemn them. And, and, and that was the words he used. Like the, the point I wanted to make though, is like, we are spending so much time dissecting the words of a man who won 2016 being the guy that says what he means. You know, why are we debating the fact that it's not a dog whistle when he says stand by? That's it, it. He's being direct when he says go to the polls. He's being direct. This is the man that says what he means. And if people are preparing for it, it's because he says what he means all the time. Even if he says it in the least eloquent way possible. I mean, when he's saying stand by, he's not being like cute. 
So I don't know. That, that's one thought that I had, Kurt, when you were talking about people taking this seriously, people planning to skip the rest period, to crunch, as a, as we call it in the game dev community, you know, to bring it back, to bring it uh, back on <laughs> Yeah, this topic. episode's all about game dev. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Democracy Six, folks. The new game <laughs> out from uh, this—I uh, don't know who makes that, but, um, but, uh, but yeah. So that that, that right there, it, you know, if you are inclined to vote for Trump, but maybe those things uh, have been rolling around in your mind, and you're thinking, well, did he really mean that? Did he really not? Just remember how often you heard that. Well, he just says it like it is. No, he he does. He's not politically correct. He just says what he means. He cuts through the noise, um, because the same can apply here. So that being said, all the doom and gloom, um, it does not mean that you have to sit idly by. No, sir. Um, there is preparation to do, and the easiest thing that you can do to uh, just like uh, just like we were doing here in the wildfires. Make sure you got some 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 necessities ready, some water, some food, batteries, gas in the car. Uh, in this case, it could be making sure you're registered registered to vote. That's your that's your gas in the car. Are you registered to vote? Uh, there were issues with uh, voter registrations being purged. Um, I've known a couple people who uh, report that it happened to them. I, I can't verify the the truth of it, but people that I trust said that they were registered to vote, and when they checked for midterm elections, they were not registered to vote, and they had to re-register. Uh, luckily, in Oregon, it's fairly easy. Uh, where you live, it might be a little bit more difficult, and I don't know if somebody has a better resource for this, but I followed through on the links. Um, you know, it's always difficult to trust government websites uh, anymore, considering that you know the CDC changes every other day. Um, but if you go to vote.gov um, and you can follow the links and the drop-down menus and stuff to put in where you are, it took me right to Oregon's website, um, which is obviously where I live, to make sure that I was registered. I checked it just before the podcast, and I am good to go. Um, I checked it for my parents. I checked it for my brothers, too. <laughs> and yeah, all you need is a name go. and a birthday, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I encourage you. That is uh, one form of preparedness that uh, might make you feel a little bit better about uh, what is going on in the world. Um, Check yeah. your mail also. because yeah. It's likely that you'll have a ballot in the mail waiting for you. Yeah, I'm already that, getting antsy. And that's like, the other thing. The ballot? If you can register for an absentee va- ballot, um, I think the cutoff is like mid-October. In Oregon, anyway, we we vote by mail automatically. So everything comes to us without having to request it. But I, but I remember reading that it was like October 12th, 13th, or 14th to request absentee ballots. Or maybe it was sooner than that. But you have time when you're listening to this. You should check if you qualify for an absentee ballot. And in many cases, you don't have to mail them in if you're concerned about the mail being interfered with, as is being commonly reported. Um, often there are drop boxes where you can take these things. Um, in the city where I am in, uh, all of the local IGAs uh, have drop boxes. The public library has drop boxes. There is several elementary schools that have drop boxes. Um, yeah, that's what we do. We have yeah. a library nearby. We just go take it there. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I've never put one of my mail-in ballots in the mail. Um, I always just take it to a Dropbox cause they're usually very close or a stop that I need to make anyway. Um, and then you don't have to worry about anything. It's a freaking, it's a, it's a steel box. It's there many, uh, cases similar to like post boxes, the big uh, blue post boxes that you can put stuff in. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're very secure. Um, and I don't think that they have creeks running under them or behind them in many cases. Um, so you don't have to worry about yours blowing away into a creek and being found later on. Um, okay. Come on guys. That's a funny joke. You can laugh because <laughs> he talked about finding ballots in creeks. I know he did. <laughs> <laughs> which was so oddly specific he said trump all over him um i don't know why bernie sanders said that but um <laughs> but anyway 
So there's some things that you can do to start with. You could do that uh, while you're listening to this, if you'd prefer. Uh, what other things can people do to prepare or to maybe get involved? Do you guys have any ideas? Uh, something that comes to mind for me is just like talk to people. Talk to people you're close with. Make sure they yeah. are thinking about whether or I've, not they're registered to vote, who they're voting for. Yeah. I've uh, been seeing campaigns on Twitter. It's like, pick up the phone, call one person. Call your cousin. Call your aunt. Call your friend, your coworker. I'm pretty sure like freaking Ice Cube even said it. He's like, we're getting to the point where you're going to have to call your cousins. <laughs> you know, it's like, make these phone calls and make sure they're registered. Make sure that they're ready to vote. Um, and it doesn't matter how they vote. Don't tell them how to vote. It doesn't matter. Just tell them to vote. Um, well, I mean, it does matter, but you know what I mean. I think we're, everybody yeah, knows. We're, I think everybody knows what they need to do. <laughs> but you know, if, if the if the heart if you can't call up your crazy uncle that you know comes to Thanksgiving and and waxes poetic about um, you know Don Trump or you know whoever, don't don't waste your time. Just make sure he's registered and can vote. Um, and the more people you do that for, um, you know, the better. What else, Taylor? Call people, text them. How about this? On the, on the subject of calling and texting, um, I have taken the opportunity to uh, sign up with the Biden campaign um, to uh, work shifts uh, on the text bank and the phone bank um, and to call swing voters and text them and see if I can't convince them to vote for Biden or if they're undecided to see what their concerns are and talk to them about it. Um, you can sign up. I'm pretty sure. Let's just find the yeah, link right just now. Go to the Biden campaign, you can. So I was, I was going to ask Kurt something while you're getting that. Yeah. Because um, another another thing you could do is obviously is donate to a campaign or to a yeah a pack or whatever. Um, that's not something I've ever done before. I've always been sort of skeptical of doing that. I I kind yeah. of hate how much money goes into politics. Um, do you have any thoughts, Kurt, on why that is a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a lot of thoughts, actually. So I'll just I'll start with, you know, Indivisible, the organization I work for. So, you know, four years ago today, we did not exist. We started in December of 2016, right after Trump was elected. And the only reason that Indivisible is able to start, hire staff, now we have 100 people, is because, you know, when we send out an email saying, hey, we want to hire organizers, we want to hire policy people, we want to start getting involved, we got gifts of 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you know, just from small donors across the country. So I, it really does matter. And that's still our single largest source of funding are, are like small gifts from people. So you can you know, tens of thousands of people's $25 really adds up. And you can really like, you know, I have a job because people are giving small amounts of money to our organization to make a difference. So I think picking an organization you care about or whose mission you believe in and supporting them, that's super important. You know, make a monthly contribution, make a contribution for a campaign you like, you know, whatever you feel works. Specifically on candidates, Unfortunately, we are in a reality where candidates need money in order to be what is called viable. So if you're not fundraising and you can't run ads and you can't put up signs and you can't hire staff for your campaign, you really don't have a campaign. You know, there's only so far you can go with just volunteer grassroots energy. So do I think necessarily that like going out of state and supporting Amy McGrath against Mitch McConnell, you know, like. I wouldn't always pick the biggest races. If you do want to make some donations, I would pick some races that you're, you know, maybe a Washington race that you're, you know, curious about, maybe a local state Senate race, maybe a governor's race, you know, and find a candidate that you really believe in could be, could be a city council candidate, you know? Um, I do think it's good to put money into candidates you believe in. And if those candidates raise too much, you know, AOC probably raises too much they'll kind of share it around with like-minded candidates or, you know, people of a similar party. Um, so I do think it's important. I think that it is still the case, like, and Bernie Sanders, Sanders was, you know, one of the first to kind of start this revolution. 
that small dollar donations are a huge, huge part of anyone's revenue strategy. And then, then the revenue becomes ads and revenue becomes staff and revenue becomes, you know, expenses that they're spending to win the campaign. The good thing about donating to a presidential campaign is, you know, you know, like it's only going to last for that time. You know, like there, no one's going to make a become a millionaire because they work for a presidential campaign. Your money is either going to staff or, you know, ads or, you know, it is going directly to the cause that you want it to support. So that's always good. It kind of feels like, you know, you see the ad on TV, you're like, I paid for a little bit of that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, but it can, it can be hard to know what, where to give or where to focus. And often the ads you'll see, you know, you might see an Instagram ad for Amy McGrath in Kentucky. Well, that's because she has a lot of money to put out Instagram ads. It doesn't mean that she's a candidate that you might want to like put your money into this cycle, you know, but I would really, you know, I usually set aside a hundred bucks or something and I'm like, all right, this is what I'll give this. And maybe 2020, I'll give a little more, but it's good to put some money into the electoral process. Yeah. Well, and you've all heard us talk about it on the podcast a whole bunch that like our money is our vote in many ways and we should support corporations and businesses and products that share our values and that, um, you know, particularly important to me and Taylor, and we talk about on the podcast, uh, that don't pollute or don't do these things. I, I think that the same parallel can be drawn with politics. You can count on big money putting, you know, donating themselves into politics. And so there should be no reason that you don't either, unless you can't afford it. If, if it comes down to like food on the table, by all means, like please put food on the table. I will donate for you. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, not literally, but I'm all like, of you <laughs> hit me up guys. <laughs> I will match dollar for dollar donations. <laughs> will I? No, I don't think I could afford to do that if everybody did it. But, but, um, but you know, that, that being said, it's like, if you're not putting your money in, you can always count on, on somebody else's putting money in on the other side. And I'm not saying that to, hey, go out and put money into these campaigns, but think about it the way that Kurt said. You know, one of my favorite things uh, that Kurt did this year for his birthday, he vetted some some charities. And he said, hey, you know, I've been looking at the missions of, of, of these charities and they're kind of focused on these missions and these goals. And uh, why don't you guys read about them? And uh, for my birthday, you guys can, uh, you know, donate to one of them. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was kind of fun. Like you, kind, it, it was like a curated list of like you know charities. I could do a little bit of research and narrow it down from there, but it was it made it easy. Um, you know, talk yeah, to your friends. Yeah, talk to your friends. Hop on Twitter, see what uh, things people are talking about, and 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 vet them yourself. Um, I personally donated direct to the Biden campaign. He probably doesn't need my twenty five bucks, but I did it anyway. Um, and I, uh, I hopped on, um, act blue, which, uh, I've talked about maybe not on the podcast, but, um, and some people disagree with it cause it's, it's like donating to packs and stuff, but you can sort of look at campaigns like Kurt was talking about, um, that may interest you. And there are big campaigns on there like the McGrath campaign and there's littler ones too. Um, and there are resources if you look around, especially like on Reddit and Twitter, people sort of kind of do the legwork for you if you know where to look about which campaigns could use help. Because McGrath probably doesn't probably doesn't need your help. Uh, she's got money right now. People really want to unseat McConnell. Um, but there's some other contentious races uh, for scrappier candidates that just aren't getting the money. And maybe their your 25 bucks go further with them than it would with McGrath. You know, it's the same amount of money, but it just means more to the person that needs it, you know. So um, Act Blue is one thing I've been using to, to look at that. <sighs> what other uh, what other tips do you have for people, Kurt, to, to get involved and, and feel like they're, you know, doing something? It's so easy to just like wallow in 2020 <laughs> and feel like everything is going to hell, but... You know, that's a perfect set, setup because I did have like one other big, you know, message I wanted to share. And I, I, I've got a good metaphor for this one. So I'll, I'll start with this metaphor. So one of Indivis Indivisible's like main goals is around civic engagement. 
So essentially getting involved in the political process, getting involved in you know, choosing your leaders and the bills that they passed. And I was thinking about high school and even middle school. This is my metaphor. And how, you know, anywhere you're at in this country, your high school and middle school is going to have some sort of student leadership, a student body, probably on the class level, probably for the whole school. They're going to have different tasks. And in, you know, when those students run for election and you're a student at that high school, you really care. Like you probably know the person, you, you, you know, you might benefit from the assemblies they throw. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you, it just, it's some, it's very tangible and it's very close to you. And, you know, I, th- I would say the engagement rate in student government at high schools is probably 95%, you know, of no research, but it's very high. <laughs> The challenging thing once you graduate high school is that all of a sudden there's 12 levels of possible engagement, probably more. You know, I'm just making up that number. You have your local school board. You have your local city council. You have the mayor of the city you live in. You have your state reps for your state. You have your state senators for your state. You have your governor for your state. You have, you know, the treasurer, the secretary of state. And then on the federal level, you have a representative. You have two senators and you have a president. So I think we don't do a good job of initiating people into that complexity because you go from, well, I know everybody was running. I can see what these people do. It's very obvious to like, what is the difference between the president and my school board and which one should I care about most? Um, and I think, I think what I would recommend to people is find multiple avenues to plug in and care about and be engaged with. So certainly, I know a lot of people are distressed and discouraged by what happens at the federal level. It's There's only one person for the whole country who wins. It can seem really far away. It can seem like this person never cares about you. The election is decided by people in other states normally. It's millions and millions and millions of votes, all that. But if you look at local races, if you look at your local city council race, your local local mayor, or you know, the smallest election you vote in is probably decided by hundreds of votes, if not tens of votes, maybe at the most thousands of votes. And in those elections, turnout is so important. I know I was, oh gosh, I was helping um, canvas in Virginia for a state delegate uh, position in 2017. And my the person I was supporting and trying to canvas for ended up losing by 18 votes. And I was so, I was like, I could have just knocked on that many more doors, you know, like it would have just, it would have been there, you know? Um, but it was cool that to, to just to get involved in that and think that, Hey, this, you know, this, this seat is just a couple neighborhoods. And so winning the seat is about connecting the people in those neighborhoods, at least, you know, a couple small suburbs. All that to say, I think you should really try to connect locally, connect with your state, and connect federally. At least put feelers out and see what feels the best. If you're feeling burnt out on presidential politics, I totally feel you. It can be a joyless, uh, like awful amusement park ride from Westworld. <laughs> um, but honestly, like... There might be efforts to, um, you know, do more green initiatives in your city that are happening right now that the city council is leading or the mayor's leading. And you could be like, oh, gosh, another good example. So Indivisible is running state programs in California. And, and, you know, California, as most states, has state reps and state senators that just operate on the state level. The state person that I was talking to, you know, once told me, how many people does it take to call a state senator's office? Now, again, you have your federal senator in D.C., and then you have your state senators that work in the state capitals, so in this case, Sacramento. Um, how many people does it take to call one of those person's offices to, like, shut it down, to, like, cancel all of their work to the, for the day? <laughs> she was like, I don't know, like, five, maybe ten, you know? <laughs> So if, if you can gather five constituents and you're talking to your like state rep about something that is there, you know, like they never get called. <laughs> you were like going to scare the shit out of them on that day. Yeah. And, and they would have these really successful lobbying campaigns where they would go to Sacramento with just a handful of people and talk to reps and just like have really good success. Because how many people even know 
that their state capital is in Sacramento and that they have elected representatives that, you know, I think, so my biggest advice would be definitely get involved, but try to find an area that is, it motivates you and it feels like is real. If the presidential election is seeming like you don't care, your vote up and down the ballot really matters. And that's, you know, that's really what Obama's main weakness was, is sure he was winning the presidency, but down the ballot, you know, Republicans were taking over state houses and they were taking over the House of Congress, they were taking over the Senate. He he wasn't translating, you know, people were turning out for him, but they weren't turning out up and down the ballot. And I think, especially people who are progressive or democratic are starting to realize, I can't just care about the presidency. It's not enough. You know, I have to care locally. Additionally, locally is where people get developed for running for higher office. So, you know, you might support a city council candidate who you really like. And because they win, next cycle, they're running for state Senate. And because they win, next cycle, they're running to be your senator in D.C. And that person never would have got the chance if there wasn't for that initial, you know, round of support in that thousand person election where they won by 20 votes. You know, like it. It is so easy to despair and to become hopeless about all these things. But but the smaller you look, the more it is just a few people who are committed and making a difference. And um, so be one of those people. It's going to be a years long journey. You know, I just moved to Vancouver. and I'm, I'm still plugging into the local political scene. It's hard when people are moving around all the time. So, you know, the longer you stay in one place, the more connected you can be, which is great. So if you've been in a place for a while, you know, trying to start putting down roots is great. But that I think that is where a lot of hope can come from. And a lot of engagement is just trying to look up and down and see where, you know, just just like in your high school, you are needed. And it does matter that you are engaged. But it's much more complex. And so it's just, you know, finding a home for yourself that where you can be consistently engaged. Nice. Damn, that was really good. Yeah, and actually, really inspiring and encouraging. Uh, it's hard. Me and Taylor sat here and we do the thing that we always do, which is focus on the negatives. And Kurt brings that ray of sunshine right around. <laughs> yeah, he does. No wonder he was so positive uh, last night when we're all texting. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, remembering the local elections, and we're just like, it's all lost. <laughs> if I if I could tack on to real quick. Um, no, that's all we just, got time for, bro. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, so yeah, one one thing that has kind of given me hope, kind of like what Kurt was talking about locally. Um, so where I live, city of Eugene, Oregon, um, they're city of Dan Carlin, baby. City of Dan Carlin. Oddly enough, I know it's pretty cool. It's like the local uh, famous person, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but we uh, in Eugene, like we typically care about the environment and uh, something that the city council is working on and has kind of already passed um, is sort of a local version of like the Paris climate accord. They call it the climate action plan. And um, every couple of years they go through and um, update it to, you know, be more in line with science. And I became aware of this um, just because, you know, living in the city and working in the city um, and uh, you know, you can go to your city's website and find information, see if they have like a climate action plan. I was um, kind of upset because I got a letter in the the mail from the from Northwest Natural, who does natural gas, and uh, they were basically they mailed out to all of the people in Eugene, basically saying that the climate action plan was going to raise the cost of their energy. Yeah, and it pissed me off. Um, because obviously natural gas is a huge methane emitter, which is, you know, 70 times as toxic or uh, potent in the atmosphere in terms of trapping heat as um, CO2. And so I wrote to um, the city council uh, in support of banning natural gas in all new houses. Um, I'm not sure if that's been decided on fully, but it at least like being a little bit tapped into local politics, uh, I felt like I had more control over this particular mm-hmm. topic. And it was something that I'm super passionate about. And I was able to you know, weigh in on the future of the city and how we fight climate change. Um, 
and kind of since then just luckily through like my position uh you know working in the city i get emails and stuff and we had this presentation by people who actually work on the climate action plan so i Hmm. sent them an email and have been like talking about some ideas i've had about ways that i feel like the climate action plan could be uh, improved and they've been like super awesome wow and, and like talking about like ways to get involved and you know me as just like a citizen how i can be involved and me as a city employee how i can be involved and stuff so yeah that's been kind of a ray of hope so just to kind of back it up on uh focusing on local politics it's definitely makes me feel more hopeful about it than what's going on at the federal level yeah so nice well done <laughs> thanks local action y'all it's uh, it's not fruitless um yeah. That's really cool. Really inspiring. And um, hopefully it uh, inspires you all and uh, hopefully uh, inspires you to a call to action to, uh, again, if, if, if the, this election doesn't go the way that, uh, that you hope that it does, whichever way that might be, that, uh, yeah, you're looking down ballot and you get involved. Um, Kurt's absolutely right about that. It's kind of interesting that we don't it's something that doesn't get discussed a lot, probably because of the way that news has um, developed in our country over the last 30 years. Uh, we've shifted away from local news because it's too expensive and not, I don't know, topical enough or whatever it might be. And we've shifted to national news, 24-hour cable national news. Um, <clears throat> Facebook was a thing, so why did you need to get your local paper anymore? You could just talk to people. Um, that's not the case, you know. Uh, local things happen with or without your consent, and your consent and your uh, voice matters in those arenas. Um, there are lots of little things, and uh, if you if you don't believe how uh, impactful it can be, just look at Oregon and our plastic bag ban, um, and how many people that pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> if only they voted better. Um, I don't know if it was put to a vote. I think it was, but. Um, but those are the types of things. It's such a small thing, but it's like not enforced nationally. Now, if you want a plastic bag, baby, it costs you five cents. Yeah. Which is fine. The paper bags are way better. So now also just buy can- reusable canvas, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying like the paper bags, they, they, they cost money, but they're like actually better than they used to be. Yeah. <laughs> this does make me, you know, Oregon is home to one of the coolest, like, random acts of one person getting involved in uh, the legislative process stories of all time. I don't know how if either of you know about this. It's it's like the origin of the bottle bill in Oregon. So Oregon was the first state to pass yeah. a deposit on, you know, you can get your deposit from recycling your bottles. So that encourage people to recycle them. And I was reading a uh, um, like a kind of history book about this period and i'm sure i'm going to get some details wrong but essentially the person behind that bill was a single constituent (laughs) who wrote who decided that he cared so much about this that he was going to write a letter every day and each day use like different colors and and like shapes in the letter to try and get attention so i think over the course of years he sent like hundreds maybe thousands (laughs) of letters and event, you know, eventually, like the pe- you know, his representative was taking notice, and people in Congress were taking notice, and you know, like Oregon, you know, had a friendly governor at the time who was uh, like environmentally informed, um, and I forget whoever the waterfront park is named after. It's just like a huge uh, in Portland. Oh, uh, McCall. Tom McCall. McCall. Tom McCall yeah. was the governor, and he was you know friendly to it and supported it, but like. It was literally this one person who said, you know what, I'm going to dedicate like 30 out, thirty minutes a day for the next five years to writing these stupid <laughs> letters. And then they, it worked. And like, you know, other states emulated that. I think of all the trash that's been reduced true, over time totally. from like that one perspective. So, so I, I think like, Taylor, your story is awesome because you're, you know, you're at the beginning of that journey and you're getting plugged in and you're getting engaged. And there is a story where, like, you realize your wildest dreams, you know. Yeah. And it's not going to happen to everyone. It's probably not going to happen to you, you know, or yeah. any of us, unfortunately. But, like, that it is do the happen. first step. Yeah. It does happen. You know, it does like, happen yeah, more AOC, like. man. 
Oh yeah, fuck yeah, I love AOC. Okay, sorry, I don't know. If you can, you can fucking say whatever the fuck you want, dude. <laughs> I should have told you that in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, but it is just like there are stories of of that really, you know, just yeah. that one person consistently dedicated, focused locally, just making a huge impact. This is perfect yeah, because uh, I needed a little bit of a of a lift today, and uh, you you both gave it to me. So thank yeah. you. Hopefully. You guys out there um, got a lift. Is there anything, um, you know, we kind of need to bring this bad boy in for landing, but Kurt, if you had any notes left over, or Taylor, you had anything left over? Well, so I just want to summarize. Make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure you vote early if possible. Uh, (laughs) Preferably vote for Biden. (laughs) Um, Yeah. For the previously said reasons about the threats to democracy that are being peddled right now. Yeah. Um, what else did I miss? I just wanted to bullet point summarize. If I nailed it, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Right in. Oh, Taylor nailed it, guys. Uh, listen, seriously, go listen to the latest episode of Dan Carlin's Common Sense because he like distills everything going on currently yeah. into an episode that is haunting and it and will he, get you to vote. He gets a little bit more doom and gloomy about it. You know, we're talking about Trump destroying uh, the debate, destroying the election. Um, this is the man who has the sole authority to launch nuclear weapons in our country. And that's the route that Dan Carlin really focuses on. And he doesn't he doesn't hammer on it. But that's his, I think, his deep-seated fear uh, coming from <clears throat> the age of the Cold War where nuclear annihilation was a real threat. Um, so food for thought there, too. Um, do you want the man who's breaking the toys to pull the trigger? Uh, who knows? So vote Biden. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, cool. We're going to bring this bad boy in for landing. Kurt, I want to thank you for your time for coming on and agreeing Thanks, to do Kurt. this and for preparing such good notes and thoughts. Yeah. Like I feel Typical really guilty. Typical Kurt fashion. <laughs> He's just such a great orator. Um, I don't know why I said the word orator. One person used that to describe Kurt years ago, and it's always stuck in my cross. So now I use that word a lot for Kurt only. Um, well spoken, well prepared, yeah. and handsome. Uh, handsome son of a gun. <laughs> he's got a, he's got a face for podcasting. That's for sure. <laughs> um, All right, yeah, let's wrap. You guys, it up. go to vote.org, figure it out. Go to joebiden.com/slash/take-hyphen-action if you want to figure out how to volunteer or donate to his campaign. Otherwise, um, hit us up on the Discord. We're happy to talk uh, about anything as long as it's in a civil uh, and cordial manner. Uh, a little bit of heat doesn't bother me any, but uh, you know, we we don't want to lose friends over this. So. Um, we care. That's all, man. We just yeah. care about right. all of them. That's why we're that's 100%. Why professing to you. 100%. <laughs> um, go to gamedevsquest.com to find all of our links, including uh, a link to uh, the ways in which you can support this podcast by like buying something on humblebundle.com uh, or links to our Discord server if you haven't done that or links to other episodes of this show. Um, cool, guys. Get out and vote. Tell your friends. Call your cousins. And uh, we'll talk to you on the other side of all this. Actually, we'll talk to you before then. But yep. Thanks a lot for coming on, Kurt. Thanks, Kurt. Thank you. Cute ad music. Laters. Laters.